This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. We've got a great subject this week, Pastor Michael. Are you ready for it? No. No? Uh, I I find that hard to believe. You're usually ready for about <laughs> anything that we throw at you, which is surprising. Well, I'm not usually always right. <laughs> I'm we, always right, not usually always. But we found right. that out in the last few episodes. <laughs> Gosh. Hey, I did. I did on the uh, What Jesus Use Facebook. I came to your side. Yes, you did. I took a thoughtless uh, perspective, and the more I talked it out, and then I heard you, I'm like, you know— Tim is a superior <laughs> man and has a superior perspective on that. I appreciated that. That does happen from time to time. <laughs> Tim, I was wrong and you were right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we have that on the record. Oh, goodness. Oh, we're, we're recording? I'm sorry. Right, yes, we right. are. <laughs> so here is our subject matter for this week. Pacifism. I can't even say you, it. You can't. Pacifism. Pacifism. That's good. Yes. Uh, that is not the act of putting a pacifier in a baby's that mouth. That is correct. Pacifism is the doctrine that all violence is unjustifiable, hence the principle of like passive resistance. It's mm -hmm. this idea that we're going to resist without violence. And pacifism is a doctrine. It's an idea. Uh, it transcends Christianity. I mean, it's, it's, a, it does. it's a human doctrine, if you will. And it has a spectrum. There are extreme sides of pacifism. So, for example, um, a pure pacifist would say something like this. If somebody breaks into your home, to defend yourself would be immoral. And yes. so pacifism is speaking about violence um, in terms of a moral equation. Is it morally righteous? Is it justifiable? Mm -hmm. Is it ethical? And what's interesting, as soon as you start talking about morality— you have to assume that there is something beyond the person that defines what is moral. Yes. And so the pacifist, to be a pacifist, to say that violence is morally unjustifiable, typically there's typically there's going to be theistic roots to pacifism. So you'll find Christian traditions that are pacifistic by nature. And uh, they believe uh, that the church and individuals and sometimes even nations, it is a sin for those nations to go to war that Jesus modeled for us, pure peace. Peace is the only way inevitably ever, even internationally, when there are threats mm -hmm. to um, your specific countries. So the question for today, Tim. Yeah, is, here is our question today. I killed someone in battle. Am I a murderer? I killed someone in battle. Am I a murderer? Yeah. Now, can we just give like an immediate answer and then I want to give you a little trick here sure. and then we can answer it? Okay. Yeah. So the obvious answer is not necessarily. Not necessarily. We can't say that definitively because we don't know the circumstance. Yep. But you can be in battle and there could be a circumstance where under national or international law, you're required to take somebody as a hostage and then mm -hmm. privately you kill them. Mm -hmm. And in those circumstances, that actually would be- That would be murder. That would be murder and you would be guilty under international and national law for, right. for that act. But I think the question they're getting at is, okay, I am in a battle sanctioned by Donald Trump, my president, and he has told us to go into North Korea, drop bombs, blow people up, mm -hmm. shoot civilians. You get the point, right? Yes. In any kind of war, you're going to be doing things that are going to have necessary collateral damage. Let's just make sure that we're clear on what we're saying, because this question could be asked from a foot soldier who has taken another person's life, uh, yep. the enemy soldier, quote unquote, life. Maybe with hand-to-hand -hand combat, maybe with a rifle or, or some kind of firearm. Yep. Someone uh, in the Air Force who has dropped a bomb or shot a missile. Yep. So it could be up close and personal, or it could be from a distance. 
Either way, you're taking another person's life. Yeah, I mean, you think about the um, pilots who dropped the A-bombs in uh, Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, uh, I mean, ethically, uh, did the government uh, ask that person to sin? But it doesn't matter whether it's an A-bomb Correct. or a smaller bomb. You're, you're taking an action that you know is going to result in the inevitable death yeah. of another human being. And so there, there is an ethical difference, though, between uh, somebody in the name of a national army killing somebody in another army where they're at declared war versus a U.S. Marine killing uh, an Iraqi civilian. Those are very different moral categories. Mm -hmm. Let's be let's be clear. So I killed someone in battle. The assumption is that your country is at battle with their country. And these are warriors killing warriors. Am I a murderer? My simple answer is going to be no. Yeah, I would say probably not. So let's talk about this from like a, a general perspective. Let's get some theological categories around this. Uh, I am not a pacifist. I don't understand pacifism truly. I appreciate the intent of. Pa- I yes. had a hunch <laughs> you, you have a lot of guns, and I, yeah, I had a hunch you like to kill people. So um, <laughs> no. I know, kidding. Um, but I don't morally get it. I don't philosophically get it. I don't theologically get it. I don't practically get it. So, for example, if somebody comes into my house and they're threatening my family, and I have the opportunity to stop them, I will stop them if it requires yes. force. Mm-hmm. The fact that somebody would would sacrifice their children in the name of passivity is inane to me. To me, that seems immoral. It actually does. It's interesting because on another level, passivity does feel like immorality. And so um, when you think about a country like North Korea gaining nuclear weapons and building a nuclear arsenal with somebody who is internationally considered to be insane, mm-hmm. to be passive feels immoral. Yeah. That's where I struggle because pacifism on a national level feels immoral. Pacifism on a familial level feels immoral. Um, And yet um, there are scriptural principles where some people and some groups of people are going to be required to be passive. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's fine. But just to make a blanket rule over all people everywhere that we uh, are supposed to just love everybody and get along like that, that's not real in light of a sinful world. So. I think we're on the same page with that. It's hard for me to justify when I do talk to a pacifist, I talk to a handful and I just find them to be very high in compassion. And sometimes people who are high in compassion um, can allow that compassion to reduce their ability to be theologically nuanced. And at the same time, I can reverse that situation and say sometimes people who are high in intellect and logic and rationale um, their intellect and rationale can make them low in compassion and empathy. And I think for the good theologian, there has to be a complement between your logic, your rationale, yes. and your empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes God advocates things that don't feel good. And sometimes we believe things that aren't true because they seem right, but they're actually immoral and mm-hmm. unjust. So here's what we know. Uh, not all killing in wartime is fundamentally immoral. How do we know this? Because God sanctioned in the Old Testament That's right. people to kill. If it mm-hmm. was fundamentally, totally, always immoral right. for a soldier to kill another soldier, then God would never have advocated that. Right. So there's a clear ethical category from the ethics maker, God, from the morality designer, God, mm-hmm. where it is ethical for a warrior to kill a warrior. It's not always um, evil or sin or the person is not guilty of murder in the in that context. Give a couple examples of that. Yeah. So God tells King Saul, uh, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them for Samuel 15, 3. Mm-hmm. Well, 
let's be straight. Uh, this should be a question that another listener submits, but how does the Bible justify genocide? Yeah. Because, well, because we have that in the Bible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, whenever somebody doesn't understand a command of God, I just love the, um, the arrogance and the narcissism of Western American Christians who are skeptical of scripture. We, right. we automatically say I'm morally superior to God, to God. And what they say is, well, he, you know, I obviously understand there's everything there is to know about this and he's wrong and I'm right because a good God would never do that. Well, guess what? God created morality. Yes. And maybe, maybe I'm not advocating genocide. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I am saying, though, is maybe there's something you don't know. Yeah. Maybe there is something that you don't understand about the tribal context. Maybe there is a level of immorality in tribal context that we have no category for understanding. Um, maybe we're transferring um, an entire global world that has been so influenced by a Judeo-Christian ethic that we have, we barely have categories to mm -hmm. understand the level of grotesqueness of these civilizations that without a second thought would sacrifice living children to demon gods, yes. alive, newly born, and they wouldn't think twice about it. There are levels of grotesqueness and immorality that sometimes uh, in, in the Christian worldview, uh, God makes calculated decisions to deal with something now so it does not become exponentially worse later. Right. Uh, we don't have the privilege of omniscience. So what if, like what if, what if uh, God came to you, Tim, and said, I, I know what this baby is going to do. His name is Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. And if you kill him now, there will be no World War II. Yeah. Tens of millions of lives will be spared and the entire world will be changed. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, Tim, that if you take his life now, millions and millions of lives will be saved. The atrocities of war will, will be mitigated. The entire 20th century will, will change in terms of how we understand it. Would you do it? That's a great ethical question. What it seems is under the Old Testament, well, yes. that's a different world, I get it. God yes. doesn't really, he's not advocating Christians yes. to murder now. That is clear. But it seems that that is the decision that God advocated that the Israelites to make. God's approach in the Old Testament. And we yep. see that when the children of Israel are under Joshua's command, Mm -hmm. are told to take the promised land. Yep. The very first city they come to, Jericho, the command is utterly destroy everything and everyone. Yep. And they were told to do that from each city that they were to go to. Yep. Saul was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites, kill them all. And he didn't. And he didn't. And that came back hard. And it came back very hard and it fell back on David. David had the same kind of experience. Mm -hmm. We don't always understand it, mm -hmm. nor... I don't know if we have the capacity to understand it. And, I, and I'll give you like a really simple, easy, again, you, if you are a skeptical Western American who loves to put God on trial, nothing we say will help no. you make sense of any of this. But um, God created the nation of the Jews for one big overarching purpose, and that was to create a culture that would prepare for Jesus the Messiah. Yep, prepare and for the Messiah. Any threat to that nation or culture, God uh, wove into the very fabric of, of their army, their nationality, mm -hmm. and their law. Um, he basically eradicated any single plausible threat to this culture and to this nationality, this Jewish culture, um, surviving and thriving. Even, even when that threat came within the Jewish people themselves, he did not second guess for a moment to send them into 400 years of exile or through the wilderness or whatever it is. That God was so committed to building a nation that would preserve a culture for the Messiah to come that he knew if the Amalekites or other um, tribal civilizations survived, that their sole objective would be to obliterate the, yeah, Jewish, to people. the Jewish people. And God's sole objective was to, to nurture and develop the mm -hmm. Jewish people. People may not like the nationalism of God or, or, or in the Old Testament, but God was up to something bigger. God was creating a culture 
um, that would uh, basically allow the Messiah to come, pay for the sins of the world. And then from that culture, once Jesus came, that Old Testament law was done because it fulfilled its purpose to create a nation and a culture for Messiah who would pay the Mm -hmm. price for sins. And now God is not actually advocating the church or the people of God to go to war anymore. Like that's as as a community because the purpose for which Israel and those genocides existed was fulfilled. Mm -hmm. These nations and tribal nations were morally grotesque under the guilty judgment of God and stood as a threat to God's greater agenda, which is to create the Jewish culture and prepare for Jesus. Now, you may not like that, but when God has an agenda, he will not let any tribal group stop that. And most people think these tribes are like millions of people strong. They're not. They no. They're smaller tribal communities. So people are thinking, that's so terrible. Well, let me tell you, if you saw the grotesque immorality of these tribal communities, oh, absolutely, you would be infuriated at what they would do to women and children Americans get all up in arms about a billion things in this day and age. We're ready to tear down monuments of people who own slaves under, I get it, you know, but if that's how angry you feel about those people, then you would literally abhor, these are worse than sex slave owners. Um, That's the immorality that we're dealing with here. No American would put up with it. We would actually sanction our president to go obliterate this nation, seeing what the kids were doing. Uh, We just don't deal with this kind of stuff on a normal basis in 21st century America. We're, we're like 30 minutes into this podcast. We're like at a point number one. <laughs> well, let's go at this a little bit different because we've laid a foundation that God yeah. does justify killing in the Old Testament, but he's got a command in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill in Exodus 20. Yeah. So I think the American justice system has a great paradigm that will help us understand that because the American justice system is built on a Judeo-Christian ethic. It's it's translating and interpreting these fundamental Judeo-Christian principles, the idea of do not murder. Um, and so, Tim, first degree murder is when a person takes another person's life, another human life with premeditation, with malice and intent from the very onslaught. Yep. We can say that is sin. Yes. Right. That's and different than war. That is what is forbidden in Exodus 20. Thou shalt not commit first degree murder premeditated with malice murder on another human being. Yep. Second degree murder. It is still taking another person's life, but it's with malice, but not with premeditation. So it's a little different than a little nuance, right? It's a little That's nuance. Important. And then involuntary manslaughter. In our society, it would be when you're driving a car and you accidentally hit someone and you didn't intend to th- for that to happen. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, they allowed for this as well, and they had cities of refuge. And the illustration that is given is, if you have a person that's working on your farm or on your home, and they are killed in a farming accident, in the Old Testament, they allowed for justification where that closest relative of the person who was killed could then take vengeance but the owner of the farm or the owner of the home would run to uh, a city of refuge until there could be a court hearing, until yep. they could have a hearing and find out the facts. We're talking about agricultural, Gregorian, agricultural <laughs> society. I'm, I'm learning to speak from you apparently now. <laughs> yes. And uh, so, and it's different, but God really took into consideration those nuances yeah. and those cultural nuances. And he put into the law a system that would preserve at the end of the day, righteousness, morality, and the culture and community, Mm -hmm. which is one of the goals of the law. I think what's interesting is that if, I think this will make sense, if being a soldier is wrong and killing in the name of your government is wrong, then Jesus would have never used, or Paul would have never used 
uh, the soldier metaphor in Ephesians 6 for spiritual warfare as a legitimate analogy. Correct. He would never compare being a Christian to like being a prostitute mm-hmm. or to being a murderer or to being something that is morally unethical. I think soldiering, being a police officer, whatever whatever category you're in of law enforcement and justice where you under certain circumstances by your government are given permission to do bodily harm to mm-hmm. another human being, if they were morally wrong, unethical, um, God would never even use them as a base illustration. They seem to be morally neutral. It's not a good thing. Nobody would ever say that war is a good thing. It's a morally neutral thing, and it becomes good or evil just dependent on how the person uses that. Absolutely. And so I can be morally upright by going to war and killing the enemy. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine having this conversation with someone who says that taking life, any life, is always in every circumstance wrong. Let me give you an illustration. You're a soldier and you see another individual doing bodily harm to a innocent uh, civilian or another person. They are intentionally hurting or harming them. And you have been given the permission by our government. You have, and I think you've been given the permission by God and his word that you are to provide and protect safety and security for that person who cannot protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you always have to take that person who's harming the citizen's life? Not always, but sometimes you do. Those are impossibly difficult circumstances. And I I would say it would be morally wrong to idly stand by and watch this crime happen. Yep. If you, if you saw a kid being abused nothing, by an adult physically, just being beaten to a pulp and you sat back and did nothing, said, well, no, your pacifism will not justify you before God. Yeah, that's I just sin. think that's yeah. horrendous to even think that we would do that. All right. So there, there are um, so many other issues that we've tapped around, danced around here. And one of them would be, uh, what is just war theory? When is it okay? Mm-hmm. So, for example, if Donald Trump decides to send America to war with North Korea, how do I know that this is a war sanctioned by God? Because if I'm, if I'm in the North Korean army, my government is also sanctioning a war against America. And as Americans, mm-hmm. we say, no, you guys are immoral and corrupt. You are the bad guy. You're part of the axis of evil. That was exactly what was said about the Vietnam War. It was not a just war. Yep. Those are some really complex issues. So rather than have this podcast be an hour and a half long, (laughs) audience, come back on Wednesday and we're going to talk about a mystery subject of which we love to just keep our audience in a little bit of suspense. Join us next time. Pacifism. 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 That's good. Pacifism. Agri- agricultural, gregarian, aggregate, blah, blah, blah. agricultural society. <laughs> and it's going to be fun.